Today on the podcast, we got special guest Dan Bell. <clears throat> My man is world record breaker, super heavyweight division in and out of wraps, whether it's wrap knees or sleeve knees. Um, and it's a good podcast because we really get in. I mean, he talks about chasing goals on the way up. We get into what it's like after he broke the records now. And some surprising stuff comes out. You know, talking about how he feels right now about the game and his position, as well as what his future is going to be. Um, and then he even we we get into uh, you know some of the young dogs coming to the game who are calling him out and uh, want to take his spot because there can only be one at the very top. How he feels about that, you know? We we get in, we drop names. He's not shy about it, and it's man, it, it got it's a good podcast. You know, he, he doesn't back down from any questions. It was a good discussion. Uh, my man opened up, so greatly appreciative for him coming on. And this is another guest who is also on the roster for the showdown meet at the end of the month. Um, you know, this is in terms of powerlifting, we don't have a whole lot of big powerlifting competitions for, for 2020. And uh, this is definitely the biggest one in the second half it's in the untested and all the big names are in it we talk about it a little bit there is a preview show with your boy Garrett Fear I'm going to drop as well where we go division by division and and go through everybody Um, so that podcast is still to come but you know so I don't I don't want to get too much into that but we discuss it and he talks about why this competition means quite a bit to him and um, some of it was eye-opening for me and it might be for you as well. So with no further ado, enjoy. And please, if you do enjoy it, post up on the Instagram stories. You know, I will repost. It is much appreciated when, when people like this get that exposure. You know, it only helps. We're trying to give we're trying to give as much exposure to these athletes and these big competitions coming up as possible. No further ado, enjoy. But when did you start powerlifting? It was uh, February 2014. Uh, it was my very first sanctioned meet. Well, very first sanctioned meet that I uh, that I that I admit to. I did a meet in 2005. It was an APF meet in Chicago, Illinois, and, and uh, I had no idea what I was doing. I just signed up. I knew I knew I could squat or squat and bench good, but I never deadlifted prior to that meet. And uh, as we're doing the weigh-ins, I saw Ernie Jr. of all people. Uh, he, I think he was like one sixty-five or one forty-eight or one sixty-one or one forty-eight at the time. And uh, he picked. Uh, he was he opened at like five fifty, and I was like, well, if he can do that, I'll do that too. And I ended up bombing the meat because I didn't. <laughs> I didn't know how to deadlift. I didn't know how to deadlift. It was pretty bad. But my uh, first meet that I, you know, like to tell people about, uh, February 2014. I told uh, 1906, and I had no idea what I was doing then either. I just knew I was kind of strong. It's man, powerlifting was so different in 2005 when you would have first stepped in there, tried out. Like what? When you were growing up, were you always a big, strong kid? Do, what, what sports were you into when you were younger? Well, yeah, I, uh, I graduated sixth grade, 
at like 340, 315, three, in between 320 and 340. I was, uh, yeah. <laughs> wait a second, baby. Wait a second. I need to process yeah. this. You were in grade six, and you were 300 – you were over 300 pounds in grade six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually had a special special stripe on my helmet in uh, JFL football, so I couldn't run the ball. They, they, they knew – I mean, not to mention I was towering over every other kid that was on the field. But, yeah, they had, they made sure that I never got the ball. <laughs> How tall were you, at, at, like, going through high school and whatnot? Well, I know I was I was the first one in my class to be five foot tall, and I think that was probably right around that same time. And then um, I think I hit six foot sophomore year, and I was like three hundred and thirty pounds somewhere around there. I kind of stayed pretty consistent. You know, kids can be assholes through junior high and whatnot, and then going into high school, or whatever. So I just kind of kind of stayed consistent with the weight wise. I started freshman year, I was three thirty, and then I graduated at three forty. That is absolutely insane. So for anyone listening from outside of North America, that's around 150 kilo, which is ridiculously yeah. large as a kid. Do you have siblings? Yeah, I got one older sister, and then I got a younger brother. He was kind of a it's kind of an accident. There's actually like 16 years in between us. So. Is he big as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's right now. He's he just turned 18 or 19, and uh, he's about six two, three ten, three twenty. So it runs in your family then. You guys yeah, pretty thick. My dad, he graduated high school at 6'2", 240, and he's been that way his entire life. And now he's 62, and he's still 6'2", 240. But my grandfather, his dad, on the other hand, he was a big guy. He's always been over 300 pounds. So going, growing up in high school, were you lifting? And before that even, like when did you start lifting weights? Were you lifting weights at the time? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, like it kind of started sophomore year. I had one of my one of my football coaches. I still still talk to him uh, till today. But um, he's like, "Hey, you know, you're the strongest guy on the field, whether you know it or not. We just need you to push push towards it." And like sophomore year really wasn't the best year for me. Uh, I I was never really good at uh, you know book smart and being, you know, dedicated to school or anything like that. I didn't know my education would take me as far as I thought it would. And, uh, but yeah, I, I consistently, like, I found the weight room more or less sophomore year, and uh, and I, I kind of fell into it. But we didn't really, like, it was more hang clean, squat, bench, and then, you know, let's see how much weight we could put on the leg press and just kind of show mm -hmm. off like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, for, yeah there, so there wasn't a lot of deadlifting going on then. Essentially, no, not at all. Yeah, and, and at the time, so you were, you wanted to be a football player. What were your goals athletically? Yeah, I was actually uh, really good at football. I was, um, I made like all conference, like even my sophomore year, and like I was, I've always been really quick on my feet, and I, I really blame that on. Uh, I, I grew up playing ice hockey, you know, the, playing a lot of puck. My my old man, he still plays hockey. And uh, we grew up doing that and then snowboarding on top of it, too. And uh, it was just like extracurricular outside of school stuff. So I, I blame that, like my leg development coming from that. And then uh, I've always been quick on my feet. I, it was a uh, junior year. I ran a uh, 4940 and uh, 320 pounds. So, I mean, I, oh, wow. I've always been pretty fast, but uh, – I just never had the education to take me to college ball. And I was okay with it because 
after high school, I was just like ready to work, ready to make some money and do stuff like that. I cannot picture a 300 plus pound man in hockey. I don't think I've ever seen it before in my life. You, it would be terrifying. If you got speed and actually check somebody, you could murder them. Oh, yeah. Like, there was plenty. We played mostly adult league, and then I did play a little high school puck. But, uh, like, the high school team that I played on, everybody was – like, I was just the guy that was standing behind the blue line. Just making sure, <laughs> just make sure everything is cool and nice, you know, and stuff like that. You were the blue line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the first goal that you got to get through until you got to the real one. <laughs> That's right. That's right. No shit. <laughs> So so you started so you, you were lifting weights in high school and then afterwards got into working. But what did you how did you end up finding powerlifting in two thousand five? And, and what was it like in two thousand five? Because a lot of people coming through powerlifting in this day and age, I mean, we have social media, we have live streams, we have like people that we actually know, like who Dan Bell is, who Ray Williams is, who you know, we know who everyone is now, and they're you know, there's a following, but in two thousand five. You didn't know who anybody was. Nobody had a following. You didn't even, if you heard someone's name, you probably didn't know what they actually looked like. You know, this is before even Facebook. This is before like anything. You, people were, if you even knew somebody's name because you heard this guy's a world champion, you just saw their name, had no idea what they looked like or anything. Uh, You know, in terms of even what's going on with powerlifting, you know, you found out, but it wasn't like as quickly, the information wasn't passed around nearly as quickly. So how did you find powerlifting? And did you even know any other powerlifters at the time on the global scene? No, I had absolutely no idea. And actually, um, I was training in Galesburg, Illinois, just kind of working out. And uh, I was actually training with the rugby team at the time that I was, because it was like high school, football was over in high school for me. And like, I didn't, I didn't want to do track. I didn't want to do basketball. It was kind of done on the years prior, and it just was not entertaining to me. So I started. I found this uh, men's league rugby team, and uh, we started training together. And I was just, I just kind of fell in love with rugby. And it was like during the winter, <clears throat> so we're all training at the gym, squat, bench, and deadlift. None of us knew what, what we were doing. Like, we weren't even deadlifting then. It was still we we're still hand cleans for rugby, and. Um, I saw this poster on the wall, and it said, APF me, Ernie France Gym, Chicago, Illinois, blah, blah, blah. So I took took it home, and I was like, hey, talk to my parents. I was like, you guys mind if, if, I go, if I go do this? And they're like, no, we'd love you to go do it. And at that time, well, I mean, like I said earlier, Ernie Jr. was there, but Ernie Sr. also competed in that meet too. And I'm pretty sure Eric did. Uh, come to find out, Ernie Sr., he outlifted all the geared guys that were at that meet. And I don't know if you know much about the, the geared world back then. It was really popular, but uh, and like raw was just coming up. So I, yeah. like I saw, saw Ernie senior uh, lift and like outlift all those guys and get the best lifter award. And I was just like, kind of amazed. I was like blown away. I'm like, wow, this, this is really cool. That guy's huge. He looks awesome. You know, stuff like that. And, uh, but yeah, you're totally right. There was, there was no publicity about it. And it was just a form on the gym wall. And, uh, actually, I, I lived three hours south of Chicago. That's where, kind of where I grew up and born and raised. And uh, I, just one guy, word of mouth. And uh, it, was, it was kind of wild how it all just kind of fell into place. I look back at it now and laugh. And I was like, man, if powerlifting could still be that way, you know, what, what the world would be like. You know, there wouldn't do, be. Do you think it so, – so do you think – 
that it would be better that way in terms of, you know, just less, do you think, well, well, yeah, let's talk on this. Do you think the social media helped or hurt it? Or do you think the notoriety some lifters are getting in the expansion, do you think it helps or hurts? Okay. Um, really, it helps a lot, especially like uh, money advertising, uh, you know, supplement stuff companies are moving up and t-shirt companies, you know, finding their way and stuff like that. That's great. But they're, we're, we're, it's just like everything. You're going to have a good side and you're going to have a bad side. Right. The bad side is, you know, like it opens the door for other federations to jump in and, hey, like, hey, we want to do this. Or it opens the door for somebody to shit talk or just anything around those, around those, you know, ways. And then you got, of course, well, the camera angle was horrible. And it's just, I don't know. There's a huge side of me that does miss those days. Like even when I started in 2014 to where like, it was no bullshit. Like, if somebody had something bad to say, they normally wouldn't say it, or you know, they just like kept their mouth shut and just went along their own way. But now it just seems like everybody's got an opinion about no matter. You could be wearing the wrong socks, and somebody's got to say something. You know, it's just like almost disgusting. But that you know, it's just the world we live in. <laughs> so it's just that's how it goes. I'm not mad about the way it is, but it just I wish it sucked less. <laughs> it's it's um you're right. I mean, in 2005, for instance. If you had an opinion on whatever your opinion was, you didn't have that microphone, so to speak, that social media is to even put it out there. Twitter wasn't there. Facebook was like, no one really had Facebook in 2005, maybe a few early starters. Instagram, all that, none of that was there. I don't even know if YouTube was there for God, maybe, but it, it would have been still fairly in its infancy. So there wasn't a lot of people on YouTube. So if you had something negative to say, it never left your inner circle and you wouldn't get notoriety saying it. Only people in like major sports that got news coverage. So the newspaper would show up, ask your opinion. But those are like the major sports. If you're a power lifter, nobody's showing up and asking you what you thought about whatever. So now, now that we have these, you know, microphones, so to speak, uh, that you can just let loose. Some people have developed, so they start doing that, and all of a sudden you get a following for doing so. And you become that guy or girl who shoots from the hip, calls it like you yeah. sees it, and all of a sudden you're like, I should I should continue. And it kind of it becomes that, right? It becomes, it, you're so, feeding the beast. A thousand percent, a thousand percent, yeah. And I, I actually, I can remember, because it was like one of my most like popular um Facebook, when I had Facebook, uh, I think it was probably around 2015, somewhere around there, one of my most popular uh, statuses on there was, I would much rather be known for the numbers I put up on the platform than the shit talking that I'm doing on social media. And then, like, it, it, everybody loved it, everybody shared it, but it's, it's just so much so so much truth to it. And, I mean, at first, you know, like, when <clears throat> when it first popped off, when powerlifting was getting extremely, like, raw powerlifting was getting really popular, especially online, like, there was so many guys. And then you had the division of USPA and all the other federations. And then on that top of it, just everybody wants everybody wants to have a name. And if they're not good at lifting, they might as well run their mouth. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I, I, I love Garrett to death, but he's more well-known for his shit talking. And at first I wanted to strangle the little shithead. I did. At first I did. But now him and I, we've met and we're, we're great. I don't say great friends, but we, we have a common understanding. And uh, I, I give him shit all the time and he blows right back at me. So, I mean, 
there's only a certain amount of people that will respect that. And I've came, I've come more to respect that too, because I've had those training partners that were yes men that were like, you know, they just loved that they were training with Dan Bell and where they'll tell me whatever I want to hear. But I have learned I have to keep myself accountable and having people that are around me that keep me accountable, even whether it be online or whether it be, you know, in the gym with me, if they, they're helping me in the long run. They, back in the day, Jason Minikoff would get under my skin so bad that I really feel like that's what drove me to be where I'm at now. So it, it just really depends on how the person uses it to their advantage or their disadvantage. Cause I've seen people shit talk, run people right into the ground where they just gave up. They're like, all right, I'm done. I'm done. It's like, wow. okay, man, but I just fuel for my fire. So um, in terms of, so first off with Garrett was, uh, what was he, what was he saying? I, I didn't, was it just <laughs> typical? What, what was he saying? Yeah, exactly. Typical, typical gate, you know, talk, it, it wasn't even my lifts either. It was uh, some, some guys I was training and then <clears throat> like, um, I, I still say to this day, the best thing my father ever taught me what to do was learn when to shut the fuck up. And, like, I, I've been really good about that. And I, I like to, like, you know, put portray that on to people and let them pass it on. Just like, he ain't got nothing nice to say. What's the point of saying it? You know, I get, like, critique. And I really do think it's Garrett's delivery. He's uh, blunt and right to, right to the point. But then on top of it, he's also got that 2019-2020 spin on it where – Got the side side sarcasm, the shit talk on it. it it's cool. I get it now, but it's just it was just uh, he was talking shit about one of these guys I was training, and I'm just like, man, if you ain't got nothing nice to say, what, what's the point of talking? And he's like, blah, blah, blah. and I'm just like, all right, I have nothing to say to you. You're, I have a leg that weighs more than you. Like <laughs> I don't even put a leg. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and then uh, like a couple months after that we met at the tribute and like I didn't know what to expect this was tribute two years ago I didn't know what to expect I just had kind of seen that he was still still running his mouth still doing his thing and I'm outside the, the hotel and he walks out and he's like hey Dan and I'm like hey Garrett and I raised it like I was ready to throw hands but I was also like staying on my heels being the open person because my days of that are over but uh, I, I was just like all right, man, if you want to be cool, I get your perspective. I appreciate your perspective, but just your delivery. And we I, we haven't really talked about it, but he understands. And we both got that certain side of sarcasm to where we, we get it. And it's cool. I, I've always been cool with Garrett ever since then. So it's just, it was just, you know, one of those things that kind of took me off guard to where, like, why is this little guy from Indiana talking shit about – Somebody clear the hell over here doing nothing has pertained with him. It's just this person's personality. And, like, you know, catch a little bit of his background, you know, where the guys came from. I do have a lot of respect for him. You know, his, his adversity and his hustle is, is pretty admirable. And I wish a lot more people his age had that. It, 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 it literally is. It's more um, with a guy like Garrett. He, it's how he, he, he presents it, but he actually doesn't hold – like a grudge or wish any ill will upon you or anyone that he's talking about. So when he sees you, it wouldn't be like a grudge or something. He would be like, Hey, how's it going? Cause he yeah. actually, he was talking about it on the podcast. He says when people roast him, he feels no two ways about it. He doesn't take, he's like, like whatever. He actually talked about the podcast. He wants to have a roast battle with people and he's like, Oh, so he doesn't, it's kind of like, yeah. um, it's just the way he doesn't take it personal. So he might not 
even cross his mind that someone else might take a personal if, if he's attacking a squad or something, he would actually be like, hey, how's it going if he saw you in real life and wouldn't necessarily connect those. So it's kind of like you said where uh, you know, everybody's different, man. It, we don't know each other's backgrounds, how we came up, and if what's what's par for the course for them or what's totally normal for them or what's different. So it is. It, and the older you get, the more you kind of realize that, like when you said, this is – turning on its side, I'm going to stop. I'm not going to do a back and forth with you. And then when you see each other in real life, you're like, okay, this wasn't, you know, you're almost almost glad it didn't escalate because you're like, well, I'm glad it didn't escalate because we wouldn't have been able to have this conversation. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yes, exactly. I know 100%. So when you're talking about um, quote unquote, yes, men, what did you mean by that? Are you talking like um, when you're training, if someone says, like, hey, Dan, because I've been there, like, I think every single power lifter will have been there if they're, if it's like, you know, that pause on your bench is a little rushed. If you're like, that was a nice pause, and it's like, it wasn't as long as you think it was. Or, you know, that squat's got to go a little deeper. You're like, that felt like depth. And and uh, a guy or girl that, like, is a, isn't afraid to be like, you know what, got to go a little deeper or whatever it is, right? We all have, it happens. If you lift long enough, weird shit bound to happen where you're like, when did I start doing that? And I've reviewed film on myself and I'm always squatting to depth and been competing for a long time. And I'm like, when did I start squatting a little higher? When did this happen? And nobody said nothing. And I'm like, well, you know, you saw the, you see the video and you're like, holy smokes. Um, so these things do just kind of creep in out of nowhere. It's bizarre, but is that what you mean? Or, or how did you mean by yes, men and yes, women? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, like, like I said, I've had those training partners who are like, "No, oh, looked real good," and then like I'll I'll go over the certain few that I know and trust, and I'll be like, "Hey, you're you're flat," or "Hey, you know, you got an inch, like you're you're a little high." So it, it, it's just all about you know who you trust to train around you, and uh, and like that's another beautiful thing about today's world where we do have the video cameras where you see it and kind of assess for yourself because. Uh, Coming up through powerlifting, like I was definitely known for the, the higher squats, and like it really did eat at me. And I don't want to know. I, I don't want to like claim claim that it was just like you know the camera angle or stuff like that. Like there was a few times where like I knew I could I could have had it deeper, but that's why there's three judges. So it's not on me; it's on the judges. But then again, you got to take some accountability for yourself too. So I really feel like you know that made me grow. And uh, and then finding those those people that, that help you in in that aspect. Now there's I'm also that guy in the gym where if I see one of my buddies, you know, taking two inches higher, an inch higher, I'm be like, hey, you know, great squat, moved awesome, but you need another inch or two, bud. Like right. I, I really do have a have a higher respect for those training partners. That's high respect, but I just enjoy training with them a lot more because they will keep you you know on top of the game and let you know and i'm not saying like oh you, you squatted an inch high so you need to take it again or go you know beat yourself into the ground off something like that it's still a training day you know it's not it's not the platform and i've i've also been known to be the guy that will squat that high as hell the entire training cycle nothing feels right get out to the platform and put it on the ground so i've i've done that multiple times and um because that's where it counts and that's where it matters. I mean, even Ray said it himself, you know, why am I wasting all this energy in training trying to dunk all these squats when it's training? You know, it, it counts for nothing. So if, if I know how to execute it on the platform, that's what matters. Mm. And 
it's just it's just just the way the way it goes. But the, the the yes men are definitely the people that are just like, no, oh, looked great, loved it, Dan. You did you did really awesome. Like, okay, well, uh, thank you, but that's not what I need to hear. You know, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're not helping. Me. You think you yeah. are, and I appreciate that. But uh, you're being positive, and that's nice. But here, yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. When you started powerlifting again in 2014, what brought you back? Oh, it, well, okay. I, I did a, it was like a kind of charity type of event. There was a local town close to me. They had a, a bigger league of powerlifters there and they had a big tornado. And uh, at that time I was just training. I was just a gym idiot. That, well, at that time, 2012, I was like 300, 350 pounds. And I was like, hey, it's time for a change. And then 2014, I was like 287. I was trying to kind of, yeah, I was trying to get in the military. I got cleared out of 240. And uh, I was just, you know, trying to change up my life, trying to do some, some different things. I knew I had, I had to have a positive or a, a lot better development of my body because I, I was always strong. I was always, I've always had a good strength base, but I've always been fat too. So like, the 390 that I was at my heaviest in 2007 is a completely different body composition than the 390 I'm at right now. And um, I, I knew it was there, but I just didn't know what it would take to do it. So then, anyways, um, back to that. It was December 2013. They had a, a charity event for the tornado victims. And I went down there, and I pulled 725, and I benched 440. And... Um, these guys that were that were there from uh, Jack Hardcore Gym, the original, uh, not original, but it was, it's it's always been known as one of the top ten most hardcore gyms in the country. And uh, the owners were there. There was a couple of professional strongmen there too. I, you know, did the whole competition, having a great time. I was just at that time I was still kind of a party animal, and I had a great job, so I mean, just like didn't really have many worries in the world. And um, <clears throat> these guys were like, hey man, if you had any idea what you were doing you could be really great at powerlifting. I wouldn't like, will you come train with us? And I'm like, oh man, I don't know. Like, I just want to party and I'm just having fun in the gym. Like I didn't even think about being competitive at all, but I've always somewhat been a competitive person. And uh, yeah, I went up to Jack Hardcore Gym like two, three times. And then I started training with those guys there in Washington, Illinois. And um, it was just through, I was like, man, I, you know, I'm looking at everybody's numbers. At this time, the internet's still kind of fresh with powerlifting. I'm looking at everybody's numbers. I'm looking at my numbers. And I'm just like, you know, I could be kind of good. And then that uh, that February when I did that meet in Iowa, I went head-to-head with Ernie Sr. And he took first and I took second. But I had a 1906 total and I was 12th in the country, the first one. And it was funny because Pete Rubish was there too. And I – watched Pete's this is like Pete's washer and dryer in his mouth. Everyone I was gonna say everyone knows everyone knows Pete washer dryer Pete. This is washer dryer Pete, the real Pete Rubish, right? Everyone knows that. Exactly. Exactly. Um and it was so funny because the morning of the meet uh, I'll get into this story just a little short brief one. Morning of the meet, I'm nervous as hell. Got there. Rules meeting was at nine. I think I showed up at seven fifteen. Just <laughs> you're, you're two hours early. You're so nervous. <laughs> That's adorable. And now I'm two hours late, so it makes it makes sense. But um, I'm there. You know, sitting there nervous, and uh, I'm sitting along the wall where all these chairs are, waiting for the rules meeting. 
uh, headphones in, looking down at the ground. All of a sudden, this guy comes up next to me, throws his bag down, just a little tiny animal drawstring bag. And I, I look up, and it's Pete. And he's like, hey, man. And I'm just like, oh, oh. Like, I couldn't say a word. I just <laughs> I was so, like, starstruck at the time. And it was like, I told Pete the same story on podcast him and I did. And he's like, man, I, I somewhat remember that. But that was so hilarious. It's <laughs> crazy how the world turns. And um, so, yeah, and like I said, 1906, first meet, and uh, – I just I knew it was for me. I knew this was this was the place I wanted to be. Uh, not to mention that I was you know somewhat stellar at it, but uh, the community is really what brought me in because everybody was like, "Hey, let me help you. Hey, this is what we need to do. Hey, you can get so much better by training this way." Because at that time, I had no, I was going to the gym maxing out four times a week, just squat, bench, deadlift. Like, I had no idea what linear periodization was, what conjugate was. I had no idea what any of that stuff was. And, um, yeah, I just it skyrocketed. And I didn't have a total in 2100 until, like, 2018, just because I went from 2040 to 22, just because I, I didn't know what I was doing because everybody was trying to help me. Oh, it's it's wild. First off, that Ernie Senior was at that competition in two thousand five, and then yeah. almost a deck, almost a decade later, it's Ernie Senior again, all over again, and you're actually competing against them. It's like, oh well, here we go again. You know, it's <laughs> it, it's kind of wild. Where it's like you again. He probably didn't even recognize you ten years later. No, yeah, no, I no idea. Yeah, it was funny because I still have my my knee wraps that I bought at that meet. They were uh, old school Ernie Franz TD five hundreds. Never had them on in my entire life. But like two hours before that meet, and he sold them to me. So that was in two in two thousand five. It, it was wild. Just, <laughs> really? He sold you those, and a decade later, you break them out and use them. Yeah, yeah, so true. Oh, that was funny. Oh. So when you started competing then, uh, 2014, so at the time, I remember 2014, this is still before, like obviously Facebook is now around, YouTube's now around, uh, Instagram's kind of getting its wheels, but it's not really blowing up. But even then, in 2014, powerlifting still didn't have like social media stops. You know, this was still before we had known people walking around. I mean, there's some guys who might have been gaining some steam, like a Dan Green, so to speak, but nothing like for like a Larry Wheels who has over a million people or Steffi Cohen, like nothing like million person followings for, for a lifter. This is well before that. Raw lifting is still somewhat like it's it's not as big yet. There hasn't been a big kaboom in terms of powerlifting. So it hadn't yet happened yet. And in terms of sharing information and getting programs and whatnot, still not all the way there. You know, it, yeah. social media really helped with that. So how did you, how did you get your programming? Who was it that started programming for you? Or did you program yourself and started like fine tuning your squat, fine tuning the technical aspects of your lifts? It was like the first two meets, the first three meets I did after that, after the 1906, I was just kind of, freelancing off YouTube, seeing what I could do. And then um, I knew it was time for a coach. And I talked to Eric a little bit back, a little bridge, a little bit back and forth because, of course, he was one of the guys I was following. I talked to Brandon Lilly a little bit back and forth. 
and he was one of the bigger names then too. Um, we we'd been going back and forth, and I actually hired Eric for my first two thousand total, and uh, you know uh, paid him. Went up to Jack Hardcore Gym a couple times, trained with him a few times, and it was just like kind of took off from there. And I I, I can remember because now I have to tell people so many times like, what can I train today? And like I would always always message him, hey, what can I train today? And like I'm turning into <laughs> The, the trainer, the, the power lifter that I hate, that I hate now. Cause it's like, you don't need to train today. Like go hang out, recover, you know? So, but um, I remember it like distinctly just messing Eric and he's like, Hey man, you don't need to do anything. You had a, you had a good heavy set last week. Like let's recover. Let's get some good blood flow. And um, yeah, it was, it was really Eric. He uh, took me to my first 2040 total. And uh, then I just kind of branched off of his programming. You know, of course, we, had, we talked and uh, I was like, hey, man, do you mind if I keep using this? He's like, no, I'd, I'd love, love for you to. You paid for it. Go for it, man. And that kind of like kind of started our relationship. And at that time, he was still 275 and just kind of growing into it. And um, then when, when he got up to the 308s and uh, we were going head to head, it was just, you know, it was following his his footsteps, just like I was kind of doing with Ernie Senior when when Eric was in the two seventy five. So it's a, it it really took me from there, and I've I've ventured out quite a bit since then, as far as you know the programming. Uh, but I've that base has still kind of been there to where I still only train three to four days a week, depending on how close the meet is. My off seasons still only four days a week, and. Um, I've ran a lot of stuff here recently, probably the last three years by Ed, Ed Cohen, because he, he helped me quite a bit when, um, when I was trying to go to big dogs and when I was trying to go compete with those, the big name guys. And uh, that, that's really bright minds, but my base has always kind of been the same as it has been for the last five years. So I, I really, you know, I can't thank Eric enough for, you know, helping me out there. And he, I really feel like he, uh, Kind of took me under his wing a little bit. It's, it's, you know, it's, you see that sometimes in sports where the young apprentice who approaches the veteran who's now, at the, who, and Lily Bridges at one point, like the Lily Bridge method, and they were just smashing records. Like the father was, you know, the strongest master. The two boys in their different respective weight classes are smashing world records and were like the biggest names at one point in powerlifting. Um, so yeah, it makes sense you would go to them. And the same young guy who, who goes to them and is like, can you help me? Can you teach me? Little would they know down the line, that would be the biggest opposition in terms of facing, in terms of taking the records, in terms of everything you would end up being. You know, they have no idea you end up being like breaking world records in and out of raps. And, and you know, the, so it's always interesting when these kind of things happen. And it's humbling. It makes, it reminds you that, the kid who approaches you at the gym and he's raw goods only keep in mind he's not always going to be like that you don't know yeah. what he ends up i've seen like there are moments <laughs> where some people develop and i'm like fuck me i didn't think that was gonna happen and you're like you're like you know what that guy ended up being a lot better than i ended up being like i you know hopefully i was humble when he approached me and I wasn't having a bad day because it is it's, you, you never know life is funny like that I'm kind of going through that same process with Luke Null right now. Dude, okay. You know what's funny? Somebody in the questions that I opened up for the public, some I've had a few people ask, get his opinion on Luke Null. 
Oh, okay. No, we 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 just up there. At first, I really I, I was like, okay, this arrogant kid is not not gonna make it far. And uh, I remember I was like ready to watch him fall on his face, and then you know, kind of pick up pick up the crumbs from there. Uh, getting to know Luke because we are from the same area, and uh, getting to know what he's about and where he's headed and where where his mind is. He knows powerlifting isn't that lucrative. He knows powerlifting is just fun. Still, he has the mindset just like I do, where it's still a hobby, where it's, it's still fun. And um, he, that kid is for his age, he's capable of dominating. But it's does he want to do that to his body? And him and I are really on the same page there. We had a nice, long, extensive conversation. We have, we've always talked. We've always kept in, like, somewhat touch. I remember, like, one of our first conversations was him saying that he didn't want to get on the platform until he was ready to break Andre's record, where he was ready to take 2,500. And I'm, I'm like, sitting here on my phone just laughing my ass off. I'm like, you don't even have a total? And you're trying to break the heaviest total ever? Like, get real, kid, you know? And, um, and, and you know, that, that comes with the age. I totally – I was I probably would have been the same exact way if I was in his shoes when I was 24 years old, but I, I wasn't. And uh, now we've got to know each other. You know, we're, we're both both kind of like-minded. You know, the, he, he's pretty smart. But I, I do like Luke a lot. Uh, I do like where his mind's at with powerlifting. Um, I, he's capable of everything he wants to do, but it's just does he want to do it. And I, I do appreciate that because he doesn't feel subjected by the community to do what that he does what he wants to do. Yeah, I, I do like that. What, what, what is it that, um, like you had touched up on what it can do to your body. Like, obviously you guys are shifting massive amounts of weights. If you get an injury, it could be a really bad injury and sometimes sideline you for God knows how long. What do you think, like, what is it that in, in a little more detail, the sacrifice that has to be made? Cause some of the other questions were exactly that injuries. What injuries have you faced? Um, what it takes to maintain this kind of body size, like how many calories you have to consume a day. Do you, are, is it like strong man where you have to force feed at times where it's not about if you're hungry, it's, it's for performance that you're eating. Let's talk about a bit of the, what all goes into being Dan Bell or Luke Knoll. Yeah, I've been actually super blessed, I think, because uh, this is a blessing and a curse with growing up being as big as I was. So when I did drop down to 240 and started to build my way back up to, you know, 300 and then 350 and then 370 and then 380, it was all baby steps. But I feel like my body was used to it from the previous years that I had already gone through with that weight on my body. So my joints were used to it. I don't – I see guys coming up now and they're doing anything and everything they can to get to 300 pounds, and then they're like, man, this is miserable. I was like – I would give my eye teeth to be 300 pounds again, but I'm not miserable. Like, my body's fine. I still go to work 60, 70 hours a week. I still have a great time in the sack with my old lady. Like, you know, <laughs> it's just, like, I, there's no, there's no, you, you got to have the, the, the give and the take. Like, if, if I've been there, like, I remember the first time I hit 350 after I went started going super heavyweight. It's probably like 2017, 2018. First time I went, got to 350, uh, not sleeping, not barely eating just because I was so miserable and uncomfortable. And four months later, I'm at 360 and I'm comfortable. My body's accommodated for it. 
I feel fine. I'm still doing everything great. So I think I've been blessed with that having that previous accommodation to the body weight. Now, as far as eating, everybody gets their mind blown because I'm not outrageous. And I do like to, you know, I like to kind of live by the less time I can like, utilize or like take away from my day or being productive, like as far as meal prep and stuff like that, I keep it simple as hell. Two pounds of lean beef or two pounds of chicken breast or pulled chicken, like, and two cups of rice. I've been doing this now for quite some time. Like, I'll, I'll get dramatic and, like, go off on the deep end or go enjoy some pizza or go enjoy some lasagna, some stuff like that. But as long as I keep those, keep three meals of the day, at least those, I I mean, that's just, that's typical for me. And it's not that many calories, but it's just something that works for my body. And I don't really care what I weigh as long as I'm comfortable. Mm-hmm. Like right now, right now I'm like 385 and I'm comfortable. It's just that's what matters to me more than more than anything. I'm comfortable and I'm strong as hell. <laughs> so that's 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 really what it has been. Um, of course, you know, the wife, the 100% Italian, and her mom actually came over in the 60s and. Her grandmother lives right next door to me, so I mean. Oh know. damn! That's dude. That's that's food that you cannot say no to. Right next door? Come on, yeah. man. I'd be three eighty as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting getting home from work at midnight. They're sticking cutlets to my mailbox. You know, it's just like how, how can I be mad about this? How how can I? And her mom lives right down the street too, so I'm never I'm never going hungry. There, there's always leftovers. There's always, you know. Oh, I always have a good surplus of food. My main focus when trying to maintain and not trying to cut is just getting the proper amount of nutrition or the proper amount of protein. Because I feel like if I go under 300 grams of protein a day, then I do start losing body weight dramatically. And if I just keep that a lot higher, then my body, I function better. Like my, my, my internals function better. I do everything great. I feel great, and it just—I found that that works for me. Not say you get go to the next three hundred fifty pound guy that's a power lifter. You know, you could try to do what I do, and it's not going to work because everybody's everybody's different. And that's just like the typical routine that I found over the last six years that really works well for me, maintaining and progressing my strength. And have you got? Have you had to deal with any bad injuries thus far? No, no, I've been super blessed. I tore my IT band 2016, and I've torn the fascia of my right bicep squatting three times. Just, just such a low bar. And um, I think that was really detrimental to my bench more than anything. But I've, I've torn the fascia, and it wasn't anything that really kept me out. You know, I, I squatted with the safety squat bar for three months, and then I was right back to straight bar. Um, yeah, I've been super lucky, but I also blame that on, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know, I blame it on my training because I don't know if I'm lazy or if I'm efficient. <laughs> it, hey, it's a fine, it's a fine line, my friend. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I get so much shit from everybody down at my gym because uh, there, there are a lot of uh, gear guys and there's a lot of conjugate guys where... I really think I was probably the first one to walk in there that had been exclusively the linear, linear and um, 
but I, that's what I've always done. I mean, I, I know how conjugate works. I've looked into it quite a bit. But the gear guys in my gym, they eat, sleep, and breathe by it. And I'm just like, yes, I'm doing an awful lot of work for not having such great numbers. You know, it's just like, <laughs> it just really doesn't make much sense to me. You know, you guys have been doing this for years and your numbers are, you know, staying about the same. Like, I try to switch it up. But I, it, it just, it, I found what works for me and I found what the stimulus that I need to, to I would say, gain the strength, but execute the strength that I do have to where, where I do and not get injured. Because, you know, like we were kind of talking about earlier, if you go through a big injury, it's not real common you come back as strong as you do I mean I it, I don't want to say it scares me because I haven't had that injury but um it, I and I try not to I every time I get under this club bar I don't think about injury you can't I otherwise you know what's the point of even getting under it right. but um it's just you know knock on wood it, it hasn't happened to me yet and um that's just the way the way I kind of like to look at it because you know if and when, it's not a matter of you know it's, it hasn't. It's just when it's going to happen. I I feel like almost to an extent, and that's why, you know, I'm praying if everything if everything goes like with the way it wants to at the showdown in two weeks, and then I got another meet lined up in November. If everything goes the way it goes, I'm I'm probably going to be close to done with being up there. You moving the bigger weights that are getting moved, just just because. It's scary. <laughs> it's scary. And it's kind of lonely at the top. It's like, you know, me, Ray, Luke, there, there's a couple guys that are knocking at the door, but I just don't have, feel like I have that fire that we used to have at, earlier when I was chasing everybody. Do you – okay, so there's a couple things I want to unpack there. Um, Sorry. I, I, yeah, no, no, it's good because you got uh, – you brought up some good points there that I was going to ask anyways. But um, I think you're 100% right. Sometimes when you're in training, it's better just to – you know, stay in the pocket, as they say, and not, that's not the time to scrap for too many reps. Every now and then, fine, because it, there is almost a bit of an art to fighting for reps, and you almost get a sense of how much you can grind if called upon and how much is reasonable to, to depend on when you're on the platform. But if you do it on a regular basis, that's when you're going to end up getting injured. And when you have, you could stay in the pocket to where you're, you're, forcing your body to acclimatize slightly more with a little more stimulus every week, slightly more, slightly more, but you're never redlining. So you're not overtraining. And then you get your best on the platform. I mean, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. And people get greedy. People get greedy. People get like, like just instead of a small incremental the next week, they're like, I feel good today. Let's throw on four more kilo. You just start, it's like you want it all. And you're like, if I continue at that rate week to week, by the time the platform comes around, I'm going to smash some crazy numbers. The thing is, <laughs> you'll probably peak in the gym and yeah, not on the platform. Like, it's not the way it works. Like, so yeah. it takes maturity. It takes a great level of maturity to be like, no, we're going to, we're gonna we're gonna do this appropriately and whatever it takes me, it takes me, right? I'm going on field not having a romanticized attachment to numbers that I need this number. I'm gonna use that from now on. Mature it's a, it's a, this is my mature side showing. <laughs> this isn't this isn't me being lazy as shit. <laughs> I'm mature. That's right. Um also talking about like you know, when you 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 were saying like if I was twenty-four and as strong as Luke Knoll 
who knows how I would feel like, you know, in terms of what I'd be putting out there, what goals I would set. I'm not going to compete unless I have the greatest number of all time competing, stuff like that. And I know what you mean because I wasn't, social media came after like, I'm so grateful. Social media wasn't around when I was in my early twenties, my man. God knows what I would be seeing or getting myself involved in without like, there's another mature, let's use the word mature, where it's like, hey man, I'm glad it's not there. So I know you mean where sometimes it's like, you give certain people a leash, a little longer a leash, so to speak, where you're like, you know what, fuck it. Like you can't, it is what it is, man. If I got that strong, that quick at that age, I would probably be like, I am the greatest of all time. You know, I would probably set some goals. And sometimes, you know, instead of judging that guy, kind of like you said, where you're like, look, you get to know him, you have conversation with him. um, And it it could, you know, you, you get to, it's a little different that way when you have conversation behind closed doors, but it is tough. One thing I noticed, and this is the yin and the yang of, of uh, social media, you can heap pressure on yourself. If you say things like that, yes, you get hype and people will be excited about it as they should. On the flip side, you really left yourself no room to go. You either come out and you're the greatest performance we've ever seen or like you set the bar at almost you, you're 95% going to fail. You know what I mean? Where like, there is no win to be pulled out of it as opposed to approaching it where it's like, let me bang out my first meet, then my next meet. Let's, let's get the drums rolling, you know, the drums beating and let's get some momentum going. And then you start getting more and more. But if you like, when you set the benchmark at a historic level like that, anything below that means you didn't meet the mark you set for yourself. You tell everybody your goal and unless you hit it, it's a failure then. That's a sugar load of pressure to put on yourself where it's like, well, now it's, you know, now I can't compete unless, like, I may never be able to compete now. Like, who knows what I'm going to be ready for that. So you back yourself in the corner. And don't uh, me wrong, there's a lot of sides of powerlifting that I like where you back yourself in the corner because I'm not winning on deadlifts. I do, like, not give myself an option, especially when it comes to third attempts. But – the pressure of meat day, the pressure of the meat in general, it really, it, it can either be, it's like a light switch. It can either make me just go or it can either just make me just, you know, just a, this really ain't worth it. I'm staying in the shower crying for two weeks before the meat, you know, just like this isn't worth it. It's still a hobby. It is. And I've, since rum 2015, rum eight, I have taken every meat with like kind of a grain of salt to where if I'm not having fun, there's no point in doing it because prior to that, I was taking everything. So you see the guys in the warm-up room with me day. He's just so detrimental, so pissed off, just mad at the world. And then they get out on the platform and they shit the bed. And I'm the complete opposite. If I'm not having fun, after first attempt squats, if I get two whites, I go crack a beer. Like, it, the, hard what? Is, what? the hard part's over. The hard part's over. Like, it's, now this is time for me to have fun. It's, let's, let's play. It's game day. We got shit to do. I'm here for a reason, but I'm here to have fun first and foremost. I perform way better that way. I, I And I know a lot of other guys do, too. And I know a lot of guys from my gym that used to be just dead set on this is the number I need, this is that. 
And since I've been going there, they're like, man, we just need to keep it fun. I mean, just took a 275 guy to like a 1900 total. And he's like, I had never thought powerlifting was going to be this much fun. And he's been training powerlifting for five years. It's just like, it needs to be fun for certain, you just open that doorway to letting yourself enjoy it and reaching your full potential in my eyes. No, don't get me wrong. I really feel like the, the whole IPF, the pressures those guys get because how, okay, how much their standard is higher than most people, but it's just, that's a lot of pressure. And, it, you know, I, I don't want to say that I would do fantastic in a, a IPF setting, but I just think that even the showdown now, I'm two weeks out and I've had this much pressure on me in a lot. So it's just like, well, here, here's what it is too. So in the IPF, because they have so many lifters like on a global set. So they'll pull people from all over the world for the world championships. Their showdowns, like, like literally showdowns, you show up and you'll have five guys that can beat you. And you're, you're not, you know, the depth of competition is very, very tight. And then if you're in certain weight classes, like the hype that you will face, like when Brett Gibbs faces Russell Orhe, the hype behind it is so big. It's like, it's it's like the it's like the big sports where people are picking sides. People are doing like we do podcast preview shows where we're like, who do you pick? who do you think's going to win? You know, historically speaking, he misses his third squat. Well, historic like people are crunching numbers and like you can't help but feel the pressure, right? Um, whereas if you show up, and this is where in the untested sometimes there there's so there's different feds, different competitions you might just be trying to break records, but not have someone there eyeball to eyeball with you. So the pressure isn't quite as bad as like when you show up in the warm-up room, it's, it's, you look and there's a physical, physical human body right there looking right back at you. And you're like, one of us is going to win. One of us is going to lose. It's like that. It's like, we are competing now. This is a showdown. This is not, you know, I'm going for certain numbers. Whereas if you're just going for numbers and that person's not there, the pressure is a little bit alleviated because it's, it's just all on you. And if you hit the numbers, you hit the numbers if you don't, but you're, you know, you could always take something out of it and you did well because you're not going to straight up lose, you know, they're, they're so <laughs> in terms of pressure, but it is when, when it gets to that point though, even though it's still quote unquote hobby sport, it will feel different. Like, do you, do you, do you want, how do you feel about that? Do you think, that brings out the best in you when you show up like in big dogs and it's like, holy shit, this is just nothing but a murderer's row of guys. And this is, this is, this is tight. Or you show up, it's just yourself. You stay in your own zone and you go for the numbers you want. Yeah. Luke and I kind of had this conversation the other too, because um, like he knows where I, I kind of want to be done in November, but if it does come up where he's, you know, pressing those numbers, and I feel like he's knocking on the door. I, I, I will, I'll turn it back on. And I would go head to head. I have, I have zero problem with that. And I like, even when I did go to Big Dog in 2017, after I got to Australia, I felt a lot more comfortable. It's just like the hard part's over. I'm here. Training's done. Weighed in. I just need to eat and perform. I know I needed that mindset to perform, but. You know, come meet day. Yeah, I was in the back room shit my pants. Here's Andre, Eric, Sean Doyle, Alex Simon. You know, the biggest of the biggest. But I knew 
that I needed to keep the calm, relaxed mindset and have fun with it to hit my hit the top numbers. Now, as far as like the IPF showdowns and the way that goes, it's great for the sport, and that's what's going to keep an audience, and that's what we do need. So, so I I do feel like it does have a good good place. It, it is something that's definitely going to take us farther, and I'm all for anything that takes us farther. No, no matter what aspect. If it makes the sport better, if it makes it brings us more money, I'm, I'm for it. Let's go. Um, now, sometimes that's not really the options. You know, just uh, we'll even take me, for instance, you know, the, my world record total last year in wraps. Like, I did the tribute meet in August. It was my first meet since the November before. I had a bunch of health issues. I knew I just wanted – like I, I wasn't going there for set numbers. I was going there to support Matt. But after moving down to Florida, after coming back from you know a couple setbacks, uh, health-wise, it, it was such a mental boost to me, to where I knew right then I needed to find a meet in November because my, my numbers were rolling, and I, I'd already tried for 2,500 three times prior to that and fell flat on my face. But I knew after that tribute meet, I needed to find a meet to get those numbers out of me because I, you only got so much. Like Ed and everybody else has already said it. Like you only got so many numbers on the platform until your time runs out. Like you only got so many big numbers in you until you know it comes the day where you're either going to get injured or you're just going to be done. And um, that's why I signed up for that meet in Gainesville. No pressure. Two hours from my house. Like. Let's go. But I, I, of course, it's pressure. It's 2,518 pounds. It's a world record total. Like, it was, it was pressure, but it was a lot more comfortable, relaxed setting for me. The, saying if I would have had some, you know, Sean Doyle, Luke Nalls up my back door just at that meet, I wouldn't have performed that. That's kind of atrocious because if you look at any of those lifts, I had a pretty clean day. <laughs> that's, I really feel like that's what's kept me driving. To, to even now, because I know that that day that I had last November for that 25-18 total was so easy to where now I just want to press it a little bit farther and then just chill out and be relaxed, throttle back, you know, get my health back in line, try to start a family, stuff like that. And uh, that, that really has nothing to do with powerlifting. It's just that's more my goals than anything. So it's just um, I, I really feel like it's – that the showdowns will definitely help help the meet, but that's all on personal perspective. That's the beautiful thing about being human. You get to choose what you want to do. You know, and you got guys like Garrett Fear calling people out. You know, it's just like, you go go head to head with this guy because it will. It's either going to make you fold or it's going to make you perform. And I'm all for either either side of it. And I, you know, push me. Give me a reason to get off the couch and go try to hit 2,500 again. Give me, like, let, let's go. That's just going to make me be a better lifter, too. So, uh, But it's still personal preference. Um, you. you said, so you, you feel like you're somewhat nearing the end of your career and you're looking for, that. like you got, is that what you said in there where you, you're like, I want to do showdown, I want to do one more after that, and then you're done? Yeah, actually, my meet that I plan on doing in November is uh, UPA meet in Iowa. Um, it's uh, it's the platform I started on, and I'm going to total 26.07 on that platform, and I will drop the mic and walk away. Holy smokes! Wowzers, man! So what? What? Um, 
what is going into that decision in terms of this is this is and, and I mean it's it's difficult for me to to totally wrap my head around because it's tough because like look at you're one of the strongest men in the world and with seven billion people walking the world you let that sink in I don't know if it totally sinks in in your day to day like because you're you right so but with seven billion people walking the world and you let's take whether it's Olympic lifter strongman we don't need to debate who's the strongest you're in the conversation though you have to be. You're, you're going to be, you're amongst the very tip of the spear in the whole flipping world, regardless of weight class, one of the strongest men. And that's your day-to-day when you wake up. So when you start telling yourself, I see the end coming and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk out on this, you know, that's a big thing to be giving up. You're not a mediocre lifter. You're not a smaller weight class guy. You're like, well, I was good for my weight class you know, or, or whatever, you're, you're kind of hanging up that title. Like when you were, when we're all kids and we think like, I, what would it be like to be the strongest man in the world? What would it be like to be like, you know, you're, it sounds like some comic book style stuff for a little kid to think about. And you have, have, are living it, my friend. Like you are doing things that nobody has ever done ever. And to, to that to come to a close how do you feel about it now saying that? Is it dawning on you? How do you think you'll feel a year after when you're like, holy shit, like when you start, are you going to drop body weight? Are you going to have new goals? Where you're like, look at, I'm going to live longer if I'm small. Like, look at, there's no 85 year old, 400 pound men. You know what I mean? Like you're, you got it. You got to do, and I get it. So, so there's, there's life outside of powerlifting. I totally get that. And that's, that's something that, you know, maybe some people don't totally take into account. So I get it, but how do you think you'll feel if you, when you, because that's a lot to give up. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I don't want to say I got half a foot out the door already, but I have ventured in making other aspects of my life a lot more of a priority than powerlifting already uh, because I know what I need to do to perform these last couple months. Um, but yeah, that is my goal. Yeah, I, uh, I, Got married in February this year, right before COVID, and uh, we both want kids. So that's going to be the, the the next main goal. And then um, I want, I got a couple of different financial avenues. I've been trying to prosper, and uh, I if I know if my long term goals are going to need the priority over the powerlifting. And you know, like you said, there's no 85 year old guys walking around 400 pounds. I know I value my life a lot more being 320 pounds, 300 pounds, you know, somewhere around there. And um, that's, it's just, that's what I want to keep in my head. That's a mindset of I want to keep right now because I, it gives me something to shoot for. And it always, it, it keeps me real hungry for these next couple months. And uh, it, it could change. I, I could just go shit, the, you know, it, it, I go, go shit the bed and, January comes around, and I got a whole different mindset. That's yeah. the, beautiful, you know, <laughs> the beautiful thing about being in the situation that I'm in to where uh, I turn it on, turn it off if I want to. I don't, I kind of let my lips do the talking for me, you know, if, uh, without, without questionable doubt. It's just the way I want to do it, you know, 
how you, you and Garrett were talking about the federations and whatnot with everything that's been popping up during this last couple weeks, this last couple weeks. Um, if you just let your lips do your talking, then you really got to do much talking, you know. And uh, I, I like that. So if if I keep this mindset, I feel like I'm going to stay pretty hungry and achieve the goals I want. But I also have a, a, a lot more life outside of powerlifting where I have made a mistake the first four years of powerlifting. I made it a priority. I looked past a lot of relationships that I could have had. I, I walked away from a lot of my family members because – powerlifting was on my front burner. I don't want to say it was a mistake because I don't regret it at all because it's got me where I am, but uh, but it's still just something that's – I'm all all go guy. Like, if I'm going for something, I'm 100% in. And it, I need to put 100% into something else right now just for my longevity. I, I, you know, I don't want to say I'd be 85 sounds great, but – 55 so sure sounds nice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you, like, look, I don't need to lift 85 though. I, I was the world's strongest man for God's sake. It's it's one. Of, that's called a good trade off. That's a good. That's a good. That's a good sale right there. I'll buy it. <laughs> uh, but I know what you mean. Where um, when you said, if if I shit the bed in that last competition, maybe I tell myself, no, this isn't how the story ends. That's not how Dan Bell's story ends. Not with that. If, if something, if I don't get the number I want, maybe we do another. Or you had also mentioned um, if a Luke Knoll rises up and it becomes a showdown that everybody's hyped for. And it's one of those deals where not just for yourself, like for the good of the sport, if there ever was. It's one of those, you know, in, in um, I'm a big UFC boxing fan. And um, I'm not super into like professional wrestling, but I've read, I've read books like autobiographies of some of these wrestlers and they're phenomenal. They live crazy lives, but they all talk about whether it's boxing, UFC, or even pro wrestling, a succession is very important for, for their sports. And the reason why when Joe Lewis, who was the heavyweight champion in boxing throughout for 12 years in the thirties and forties, um, when he retired, he retired champ and the two top contenders fought for his vacant title. And the champion, Ezer Charles, was nowhere near as publicly accepted. No one really got behind him because he didn't beat the champ to be the champ. It's the same thing throughout boxing that we've seen, period, in the UFC as well. If someone retires as champ, Dana White is always going to push, have one more, have one more. Because it, the succession, when, when Connor lost to Khabib, Khabib became a star because he beat Connor. So now you have a new star. Now, Connor, you can leave if you want to leave, but don't leave like that, right? Um, same thing, pro wrestling, you know, I mean, obviously it's scripted, but when Bret Hart, I read his autobiography, tried to leave WWE, which at the time was WWF, you know, Vince McMahon was like, I can't let you leave with the belt. Like, it has to be a succession. I need a new guy. So, even if for good of the sport, sometimes you'll feel pressure where if you're going to leave out, leave on top, some people will be like, you got to face Luke Nall head to head first though. We got to see this. And here's what it is. A, the showdown is like, everyone loves a good showdown, especially when there's hype building up to it. People get excited and they're like, oh my God, not numbers, not he's going for your record, but actually there's two Two men who are like larger than life, literally. Two men who walk straight out of a comic book. Two of the strongest men in the world, two of the strongest men in history, which means not just 
two of the top out of 7 billion out of how many people have lived throughout history. You guys are two of the strongest men. Toe to toe. What's that? You can say it. Me and John Hack. That's fine. <laughs> right. John, we'll get to John Hack in a second, who is a freak of freaks. But um, so when you, if you see that entertainment wise, it is so riveting viewing. In, instead of if you leave and Luke Nall tries to go for one of your records, like your numbers, or if you're there and Luke Nall and you compete, to see that is riveting. I, I was, I remember one of the first times I was commentating for the IPF World Championships and Ray Williams is about to squat. And it's one of those self, like one of those moments I, I heard myself say, and I got chills and I had one of those moments where you're ever so present. I said, we are about to watch the strongest man in the world do his thing. And he had a, like over a thousand pounds loaded on the bar. And I remember hearing myself say that and being like, holy shit, this is real life. This is happening. Holy <laughs> shit, this, this, what is life right now? And yeah. um, so, so I guess where I'm getting at is sometimes the allure that there could be a little more before you leave, you might feel that. And it's win-win for you because no matter what, if, if you and Luke, if you're in that moment, it's a moment and you can feel it. And even though it's the nervousness and, you know, the, oh my God, leading into it, it's, it's the, it's part of part and parcel with sports. I read tons of autobiographies of athletes and they all deal with it. But the only reason why it's there is because you recognize you're in a moment. You recognize this is everyone watching. I feel pressure. I got to win or whatever the shit, but everyone watching cares because this is a sporting moment and you're in it and you feel those feelings because it's there. And you're like, holy smokes, this is what it's like for all those guys and all those other sports that we tune in and watch. And no matter what happens that day, the fact you're in it, so many of us will never be in those moments. So when you're in it, and if and it's one of those, like Luke is 10 years younger than you, whatever happens, if he's gonna go on and do whatever the hell he's gonna do, It'll never take away what you've already done. You're already Dave Bell. You're already established yourself as one of the strongest men in history. You don't need, nothing will ever undo that. You know, you're playing with house money, so to speak, right? So you're kind of showing up where, where Luke and anyone else coming after you hasn't done that yet. They haven't broken those records. They haven't. So for them, they're trying to chase it. For you, it's kind of defending, right? So it's, it's um, I mean, these crossroads battles in sports are so riveting because of that. And, um, and so when you had mentioned that, when you're like, look at, um, I appreciate, you know, the sport, the showdown aspect of sports. And I know what it's like for viewing. It's so amazing to watch. And uh, when it's two super heavyweights that literally you guys are doing stuff that people can't even wrap their head around, the weights that you shift, that you get underneath. But uh, so would it take something like that to keep you around and, and would you entertain that? Or are you like, look at if this doesn't happen soon enough though, I mean, you like, it's, you're only one person in there. It takes other people to show up. If a showdown like that doesn't happen soon enough, is it like, it won't matter. It's got to happen soon. It's got to, right? Oh, uh, and uh, well, I, I will say it's, it's powerlifting is benefit that I am such a competitive person. Uh, <laughs> so if it does pop up, I'm sure. I'm sure I'd probably come to the table. There is really, I mean, definitely. 
it would just take that one one person. And yeah, you know, even Luke's post, you guys saw it. You, you know, you guys reposted it. You know, your totals aren't safe. Your your wilks aren't safe and stuff like that. It got under my skin, it, but it, I knew that's what I needed, especially three weeks out from the showdown in sleeves, where you know I, I'm playing on up in the world record total there too. And uh, and then you know another nine weeks out until November. I even went to Luke's page after that and, and told him I was like, man, I'll I'll give you five hundred dollars to come up to that meet in November. Just just go head to head with me. Just That'd give me a little. Yeah, yeah. And even the the meet director from the showdown, he got on there too, and he's like, hey, man, you know whatever it takes, I'll, I'll bring you out to the showdown too, Luke, if you want to. He's got plans for that surge new levels meet uh, there in middle October, and I I respect that. You know he. he you know, just as well as I do, when it comes to the whole 12-week peak, you you played it out 12, 14 weeks out, and you, you, you get, get it going. Um, but that's not to say where, you know, if if Luke does want to call me out or you – know, there's there's other guys. You know, there's, I mean, there's there's plenty of other people that have got the possibility of a perfect day to, to, to hit the numbers that we're hitting. But it's – um. It, it, it would take that moment and it would take them having that set of balls, I guess. Because, <laughs> yeah, 4,500, I, I, I remember saying to Dylan Hellregal, uh, he had plans uh, the pro raw this year. He he plans, he's like, I'm going to hit 2,500, blah, blah, blah. I was like, you know, a lot of people say it, and I've said it plenty of times myself, but 2,500 is a hell of a feat. It's it's big. I swung for the fence in the 2,500 four times before I finally got it. And it, it does take uh, – Pretty pretty executed day, pretty executed twelve weeks. So, um, yeah, I'd probably entertain the thought. It just depends on uh, how lucrative it would have to be for for that. Because you you do have to put your body through some shit, and you have to put your family through some shit. You do have to put, you know, uh, with me, I I still have a day job, so I mean, you got to got to deal with that too. I got lucky enough to where my boss is kind of a fan, so he, it comes down to it where he's like, hey. Uh, I can tell you're getting kind of close to me. You need a couple of days off. I'm like, yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. But, um, yeah, I'd, I'd probably entertain the thought just because I am that competitive person. And I, I still do feel like I got something to prove. You know, I, I did go head-to-head with Andre three three times total. And uh, it was cool. He's still undefeated. He, I got more respect for Andre than anybody. Him and Eric is the top of my list. Uh Andre is undefeated for a reason. He's been undefeated, you know. He, he is king, king of to the world in my eyes, and always somebody I chased. But I have you know, a feeling his his days are numbered, being uh, over with, being competitive too. Just the age and how long he's been doing it, you know. I wish I would start a powerlifting at 16 like he did, but um, you know, putting your body through that for that long, it's it's gonna you know short fuse, and that, that's not where I'm looking forward to doing. I. I uh, I've been doing it six years now, you know, you know who's saying I want to be done now, but if, if I have to do it another four years, I will, but I don't want to. I'm already at the top. Let's, let's, let's get this over with and move on to other ventures. You know, I, I kind of want to CrossFit. CrossFit. Oh my God. This is an announcement. I kind of, you know what? I'm kind of thinking about CrossFit. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. Your, your boss, thinks it's cool and is a fan for sure, dude, your boss, you're one of the strongest men in the world, man. It would be, it's not like you're, um, 
you know, like a hobbyist powerlifter who's kind of a middle of the pack, a 74 kilo or whatever guy. And he's like, well, that's cool. That's cool. You got a hobby. No, your manager is like, holy shit, this dude is one of the strongest men in the world. It's hard not to appreciate the fact, you know, it's hard not to be like, you know what, man, you were doing stuff that like some people only dream of. This is, this is big. So yeah, you get behind it for sure. Um, Leading into the showdown meet, you had said previously, you felt a little more pressure. There's a little more hype starting to build lately. Do you think this is because a, yes, you, you've been smashing records and you were at the top, uh, you're at the top now and um, you were in your prime now. And, and now you have some people kind of coming up as well. So some people are getting excited there. Um, Do you think, it's that, that because you're at the top, it's been said in a lot of other sports, it's harder to maintain being at the top than it is to getting there. And when you're getting there, it's almost like the pressure is at whoever's already on the top and you're just, you're looking, but the pressure's not on you. But when you're on the top and you're that guy that everybody else is gunning for, everyone else, when Luke makes that post, he's talking about you though, right? He doesn't have to tag you and, and everyone knows. So it's one of those, and, and uh, you know, like I said, I, I read a lot of those UFC guys, George St. Pierre, he retired as champ. And he said, he's like, every single one of these guys on the way up, when they lay down and put their head on the pillow at night, they're picturing beating me. I'm not picturing, I don't even know who they are sometimes until they're right outside my door. You know what I mean? Until they're already the top contenders because there's too many contenders. But every single super heavy in the world is thinking about Dan Bell because you're the number one guy. Whereas you don't have, like, knowing that, there's a lot more pressure and harder to be on top. So every time you step out now at at the showdown meet, um, you know, whether or not someone's there that'll give you a push or someone is there and there is going to be, but whether or not there wasn't, you have that, right? Everyone's watching now though. Like if you're not that guy, you can show up to a competition and if there's nobody there, you're just gonna post your lifts and it's all good. But if you're Dan Bell, even if nobody, even if everyone else drops out, people are gonna pay attention to what you post because you're the number one guy. So you're no longer operating in darkness, so to speak, right? Um, do you think, is that it now? Is that the, because you become that guy where it's like, shit, man, I'm starting to feel that a little bit. I start to feel a little bit of that pressure where every time I compete now, you're going to have dudes watching your numbers be like, oh, I think he's ready to go. I want a piece of him now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I do not pioneer me in July. Um, I kind of short cycle for it. And I was also trying to do a multiply on top of it just because, when COVID hit, I didn't have a plan and I didn't know what, how to plan because, you know, with you didn't know when the next meet was going to be. So I grabbed a pair of briefs and a single ply shirt and started messing around with that just to like kind of sharpen my blade. And it was fun. It was like a legitimately, I did have a, a lot of fun with it. My heart's always going to be in raw. But um, that pioneered me when I went over there and it wasn't any heavy competition. Yeah, we were going for Wilkes, so that throws a different factor in there, especially. But, I mean, that's still factored towards the heavyweights and the, the lighter guys. You, we, we can have the conversation all day long. But uh, it's still hitting 2491 uh, on a 7-for-9 day. You know, that's still that – was, that was more important to me than, you know, making the Wilkes and getting the cash uh, because I still wanted to have that principle and that point to be like, 
I'm still hit you know, 21 pounds underneath or 30 pounds underneath the, the world record total on a whim, six week peaking cycle. I am number one, and I deserve to be the deserve had the respect of being number one. Um, now with this showdown meet, it's just kind of the same way, but there's a lot more factors to who's all going to be there. And I'll say it, you know, it is John. And John's been on my mind. John, John, I've known John for my entire powerlifting career. He was, he was in wraps at 165 at one of my first meets. Like, he, like John and I, I've known him forever. There's pictures of us in 2015 uh, down at Rum 8. And, well, not down. It's right across the street now where we did that. But um, we were both living in the Midwest. And um, it's pushing me. But the climb to the top was a lot funner for me. I will agree with you there. It, the climb to the top, I was a lot hungrier. Now that I'm here, it's like, what's next? Yeah, I have numbers to be next, but that's not the drive that I had before to where 25-13 was the goal or 24-58 raise sleeve record was, was the goal. And um, it's funny because this time last year, Sean Doyle asked me, he's like, hey, you want, to do a show, you want to do a showdown meet with me? I'd love to go head-to-head with you. And I've known Sean for years, and Sean's a great guy. You know, I love the way he doesn't post on social media. The guy has a flip phone and lives in the middle of the sticks. That's like a kind of, I don't want to say a goal, but I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the way that guy does, handles his life. And um, he asked me that, and I'm like, sure, you know, I'd love to. You know, I got to see, you know, w, I heard it was WRPF, and I'm all for the mono. And um, I was like, yeah, sure. And then I got a hold of me director. I'm like, hey, you know, what's how? what do I got to get in? I haven't got invited yet. What's going on? He's like, well, Dan, you haven't done a meet since oh, – you haven't done a sleeve meet since 2017. And I'm like, well, shit. Okay. So he's like, you got to do one. I'm like, oh, man, are you kidding me? So this is like a couple weeks out from the November meet and I already had plans on taking the world record total there. So I did that and I was just waiting for him to reply to me. Just be like, Hey, you can come to the meet now. Still never happened. So I got a hold of him again. I'm like, Hey man, you know, he's like, no man, you haven't done a sleep meet since 2017. And I was like, you know what? Thank you. Thank you for holding your ground. Thank you for making me, you know, qualified just like everyone else. Because there are those meat directors out there, you know, don't want to throw names out there, but there's meat, the shittier ones. So it's just like, oh, I want the biggest names there for the most money, blah, blah, blah. Hmm. So I was happy about it. I got married in February, I was early February. I was playing, I, you know, kind of took some time off the training for that, but I also knew that there's this other local meet. It was in Sarasota, Florida, like three hours away. Signed up for that, RPS, you know, I didn't care about Federation. Like I said before, I just – I don't even care about Federation now. It's just let the, the list talk. Um, but anyways, it just kind of got under my skin. You know, like I'm the best in the world and you're going to make me qualify for this meet? Like, okay, it's cool. I respect you for holding your ground, but still like, all right. And then I heard from other people that other people were getting invited. that hadn't done meets. So I'm just like, all right, you know what? Screw this. I'm I'm gonna go make make some noise, go over to that meet, and right after my second attempt, 970 squat, I was like, today's the day. So I go in the back room, start calculating the numbers. I was like, I know exactly what I need to take this world record total, and it's just gonna be like a big f you. Like, yes, I will be at the showdown. Yes, I will come take your money. Yes, I will come put on a show. But I'm not. I'm doing this because that's who I am. That's the type of person I am. Like. 
it, it, the climb, that, that climb was, was way more thrilling, way more, I don't know, enthusiastic to me than, than being up here now waiting for the next guy to come around to push me, I guess you could say. Now, I, I, I don't know who it's going to be. You know, I, I'm hoping it's Luke. I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping – I really – I have plans for 25-13 at the showdown, but if things don't go my way on squats, things don't go John's way on squats, and I got to I gotta do what I got to do to win the meet, then that's what's going to happen. That's the beautiful thing about showdowns. Then that's the beautiful thing about you know the thrive of of winning the meet. I would, I you know the total is what we all live by as a power lifter. It's all the, the total is what you live by. So, but having the highest total and having a factor of winning the meet by Wilkes, it's a it's a it's another ball game. So, it, it, it's going to be real real interesting, and I, I'm I'm really excited. But I don't want to put the pressure on me to where I like kind of get too much in my own head about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. There, there's there's good pressure and there's bad pressure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about John a little bit. What the hell is going on with this young man? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is operating on God mode in a video game or something. He's benching 250 kilo, 551 pounds. He's deadlifting. He just deadlifted 835, which is. I don't know, 385 kilo range or whatever. Like he's, it's, it's, he, it's some ridiculous numbers going on right now. Um, I'm not sure what's going to end up happening with John Hack in terms of when all is said and done and we look back, what we're going to be talking about John Hack. Like, what do you think? Do you think, you know, I want to start talking blasphemy and start saying like the greatest of all time type deal. But so I don't want to go too much. You know, I can get hyperbolic, man. I can, man. You, I can, I can get hyperbolic, my man. I, I could, I could get really excited real quick and say some crazy things. However, do you think twenty-five years from now, when we're looking back, and you're a two hundred fifty-pound man, <laughs> okay, when you look back, what do you think we're going to be talking about John Hack like? Where do you think John Hack will rest amongst the greats? Are we in the middle of watching things happen that we may never see again? Is he going to start smoking numbers? What do you anticipate? Well, like I said earlier, I've known John for going on six years now, and he's already got goat status in my mind. And I don't, I, I don't even like it when people call me the goat just because I have the highest total one weight class. John's done it. John's performed. John, John's process is very. I mean, if you want to look at somebody and look up to somebody, I would suggest that. Or like, I would suggest him. Just as the process, he's done it. You know, you're coming up from. The little guy in Madison, Wisconsin, just training with Pete Rubish and and busting and grinding, going through the IPF. You know, he was he was the top guy there for a long time. You know, he grew grew into some SARMs, grew into some PEDs, and now he's just running shit in the lower weight classes. This guy, he's unstoppable. He, he is, and I I know he's got the brightest future of any powerlifter today. I mean, outside of you know. The IPF because there's a lot of guys there that I'm not too honestly too familiar. I know most of the top guys or heard of them in passing and whatnot. But um, as far as untested, he's he's the goat in my eyes, and he will be. He, he's like Ed; he'll be known for a long a long while. And you know, watching him venture out of the 181s to go to the 198s has been beautiful. Just to see him grow and develop, and I really feel like he did it the lengthier way, the lengthier proper way 
to where, like, you see a lot of guys, you know, training 198 and trying to cut to 181. Like, John's been consecutive in the, the growing and the, the moving up and filling out. And, yeah, sure, he's cut some weight and had some nasty cuts, but he's also done things, in my eyes, the way they should be properly health-wise and strength-wise. So if you're going to look up to somebody that's doing things right, uh, healthy, that's the guy to look at. And, you know, I, man, the things that guy can do at 220 or the things that guy can do, you know, at 242 if he ever grows into it, holy. Dude, I can't, listen, picturing John walking the face of the earth at 242 would be nuts. I don't know what he would look like, but he'd be like the Incredible Hulk and God knows what he would do. You would have to break out the military to stop him if he started rampaging and he'd be halfway up the side of a building putting his hand through glass and eating people and the helicopters would have to come in and shoot him off of that thing. It would oh, be, yeah. it would be oh. insane, man. Oh, uh, yeah. for, sure, you, for sure. You are right in that, you know, John first went into the IPF, became an IPF world champion, uh, you know, multiple time USAPL national champion and, and, did that and became like had the biggest showdown in IPF history really with Brett Gibbs did yeah. that then crossed over. Um, so he, he, he has that on his resume where he's done both and then crossed over and what he's doing now, it's phenomenal. The only guy I think in the world that would be a phenomenal showdown relatively close to his body weight, the bigger John gets the closer their size is going to be would be Yuri Belkin. And that we have a bit of a problem here where John, in wraps, it's a no-go. He gets injured. He doesn't like wraps, and, and you don't want him to do it and get injured. Like, just, it's not worth it. So he, he's way better in sleeves, um, where Yuri, obviously, he could do it in sleeves, but he is way better in wraps. So we have a bit of a discrepancy there where we're going to, you know, it's not quite apples to apples, and Yuri would be like, well, Frig, I'm going to have to meet you on your basketball court, which isn't the best I want to do, but I'll do it. Hopefully he'll do it anyways. And Yuri's a little bigger, but the John's getting bigger and bigger and he's going to grow. I mean, he, the my man, my man is getting thick right now with three C's. He's getting thick. So eventually I don't think size will be as big a discrepancy. I think they'll be walking around around the same size. I don't know exactly what Yuri's body weight is and John's body weight is on their day to day. But in that showdown, who do you think would win that? And does that not have to happen? Is that not the biggest? Is that not the, oh my, if those guys go toe to toe, like, cause Yuri won the U S current open the Yuri, what he did at big dogs, you know, at his body weight is mind boggling. It took a set of balls. That's exactly what that was. I was, I was blown away. I really was. I was super happy for him. Um, it's really going to come down to squats for those two. They, I mean, they both have phenomenal benches. And John's very consistent with his great pulls. Yuri, I mean, uh, we've all seen him shoot the bed. We've seen John shoot the bed. We've seen everybody shoot the bed. Right. But it's gonna, it's, it's, squats is going to determine it. And um, I, there's a lot of – I mean, look at Kevin. Look at Derek Kendall. All those guys are like, raps not for me. I don't want to get hurt. The only time I get hurt is when I go and rap. So I get it. And I, I fully do, like – kind of respect that, but I think Yuri's benefit with the wraps is just he's had a lot more time in them, where I think that if John put some more time in him, you know, got comfortable in him, found wraps he liked, 
he might open the door. And I'm a big advocate for rest because that's all I've ever done. I've done four sleep meets ever. So, I mean, it, it, it's just reps or it's using reps to get the most numbers because powerlifting at the end of the day is still the highest number. So I think if John wanted that head to head and wanted to throw the reps on and wanted to, to, to go to it and John, I'm, I'm betting John could probably squat 900 in wraps. I and mean, he got a good set of wraps and, and really worked his way into them and learned how to use them. He can be real close to 410, like without a question. And Yuri's the same, the same exact way. I mean, Yuri, he almost took 455. <laughs> the way he executed on the way down really spread. That would be, that would definitely be the the epic battle. I I would give top dollar to watch that or even be there for it. That man. That give me goosebumps thinking about it. <laughs> I know, dude. It's such a – listen, it, it, both those guys are young, and they both got time. Um, although, like, frick, man, you see what happened to Jesse Norris. When you're shifting this kind of weight and you're that body size, things can change real quick. So you, you're kind of like – you love them while you got them. They're here for a good time, not a long time type of deal, right? So you're – so even though they're both young, there's a, there's a slight sense of urgency where let's get this going at some point – you know, let's not take for granted it's going to happen. Let's try to organize this thing. The, the biggest thing is going to be the wraps. Now, so you think John should go in the wraps. That's where I get, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm like, ah, because if he's talking, it's one thing to say I don't get much out of wraps. It's another thing to say I'm getting injured in them. That's where I get nervous and I'm like, God, I don't want him to get injured and it doesn't happen. But, no, I totally, totally agree with you there. Right, it is. So, you get nervous. It is a tool. I mean, it is a, it is, that's like, I mean, just like a belt, just like geared lifting. It's a tool you got to use to you to execute more weight than your body is okay with. So if you find out how to use that tool properly and execute with it, then you'll utilize as much weight as you can. Um, I, I don't see why you, uh, just do one, one, one meet one year in sleeves. Do next meet next year in reps. Whoever goes two for two wins. <laughs> you, that's a, you could, that's yeah, you you could do like a yeah, you could do two meets. It's like a series. Although <laughs> here's where things get interesting. If Yuri wins in sleeves, or sorry, Yuri wins in wraps, John wins in sleeves, and then we're like, well, now we need a tiebreaker. <laughs> now we need a freaking sumo wrestling match. <laughs> we need. You make Yuri pull sumo, and you make, or you make Yuri pull conventional, and you make John pull sumo. That's it. That's it. We start getting creative. We start getting bench presses, Larson pressing. You know, feet up, feet up, fellas. Let's let's. You know, we got we got to break this tie. We got to figure this out. But yeah, you know what? But like in all honesty, it's not a bad idea because I tell you what, um, in tennis, you know they have. Like, I'm not a big tennis guy, but I do realize there's different tournaments, Grand Slams throughout the year, the big ones, and the surface has changed. Now, for guys like me and you, we might be like, what's the difference between surface if you're on clay, if you're on grass, if you're on turf? But apparently, there's a massive difference. Apparently, some people's records on clay is phenomenal. Their records on grass could be different, and the different tournaments have the different surfaces. So when um, Andre Agassi has, like, 20 matches against Sampras over their careers and they were number one and number two guy 
you would see, you know, okay, Agassi seems to always win on this surface, et cetera. So I'm just saying in other sports, they deal with this and they actually have, like you suggested, look at if neither one of us can come to terms with what the, what the rules are going to be and under what conditions we're going to meet, we might have to do a series. We might have to face each other under different circumstances and just kind of sort it out and see if somebody, maybe it's going to end up being one for one and we can't sort it out because Yuri always wins in wraps, John wins in sleeves, and we don't really get to the bottom of who's better. And we just, but maybe we get surprised. Maybe John wins in wraps and in sleeves and we don't have to have, and, and we saw it or the other way around. The point is though, we got to kind of have it happen <laughs> right i guess what i'm getting at whatever we whatever the case let's just make it happen for the good of the sport um these these are the things that get people excited like you said like if this was booked for halloween you know halloween night every powerlifting fan you know is going to be watching they're going to be like oh my god i gotta see yeah. what happens here but oh, yeah. We're operating under some, it's difficult, you know, international travel, the whole nine, especially now we're, we're operating with some tough stuff. I'm just grateful the showdown meets happening. We got guys like you, we got guys like John, we got guys like Doyle, we got guys like, you know, we, I'm grateful this is even happening. This is a pretty big competition to be happening under COVID with some of the biggest names, um, you know, Marie, like Hunter, Hunter Henderson, uh, you know, she's just, and Maria, Maria Gaspar Ryan showing up. Like we have some really big names showing up at the showdown competition. When I seen it coming, it's like, oh, thank God we got something to look forward to. You know? Oh, exactly. Exactly. And I, I felt that way about uh, about the Pioneer meet, too. It, it kind of shut, got – he didn't know. Matt didn't know whether it was going to go on or not. And it was like the beginning of July, and it's still up in the air. But they're like, hey, let's plan. Let's go. And then I thank him. I thank the USPA Texas. I, I was just so happy that they brought – a little normality back to our life. And, I mean, from everything I heard, nobody at that meet got COVID. And we were in there stacked just like any other meet. So, it, it, there was guys from, I think they said, 13 different states. So, it, it was pretty lucky that we, we did get to have that. We kind of blessed. And then now, going from New York to Kansas City, that's not that really that big of a deal if you're inside the United States. Because, I mean – Really, during this whole COVID thing, I've flown really kind of all over. I've gone home to Illinois a couple times. I went to Texas, went to New York. I flew down to the Keys two weeks ago. So it's just like, if you stay in the States, you're good. You know, wear your face mask, have a little common sense. And I do, I've been lucky enough to where with my job, I get tested every week. And oh, wow. uh, yeah, yeah, I was, I was like blessed by that. I was really surprised when they, at first, when they started doing it to us in March, uh, it would take, four days to get back to us now it's 45 minutes and i got an email whether i got the allergens or not so it's like okay well there's there's a, a light at the end of the tunnel compared to what it was you know five months ago so it, it's pretty nice but um for him to orchestrate this meet and have it go on and stay at the higher level with with the competitor i mean rob Phillips, james strickland you know I, I was excited to see garrett on there and we, we still we got quite a bit of big names i know garrett's not doing it now but still it's just like I know he's going to be there. And then, like, even the bigger name girls, like, yes, let's go. From what I hear, there's probably like around 40 competitors. So it's going to be a short day, but still it's going to be a stacked, steady competition. And I'm, I'm, I'm really excited and really happy and fortunate that it, it is going on. And I, you know, can't thank the meet director enough for, you know, doing what it takes to keep it going, you know, on top with uh, J.P. Price, you know, opening his doors and letting us use the equipment there in Kansas City. 
to go. It, Kansas City's not a bad town. I mean, it's got good barbecue, but uh, it's still. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a super heavyweight thing of raiding a city. <laughs> What's the barbecue like? What are we talking about? Um, no, you're right. It, uh, yeah, there's James Strickland. I want to see if he benches. He, I mean, he's hashtag road to 700. I mean, he's he's been chasing that for a while. He's got a. a <laughs> he's. <laughs> he's yeah. He, he's got um, a phenomenal story too. I had him on a podcast. Like his story is is uh, it's crazy. It's, it's a really good background story. Um, and then uh, I mean, even Joe Sullivan. There's a lot of big name guys. There's a lot of guys who are going to be on this. A lot of women who are going to be on this showdown meet. So I'm definitely excited. Uh, talking about flying all over the place. Um, you would probably be one of the worst guys to be sitting beside in a plane flight, sir. You would be if you if you're like I'm 32A. Who's 32B? Oh shit! As you walk towards that, pro tip, pro tip. Um, super heavyweights out there, if, uh, you're probably listening to this. When you go to buy your plane ticket, buy the exit row seat. It's like 12 to 30 bucks. Where it's worth it. Buy the exit row seat. Everybody sits down, everything going. They come up and ask you, hey, do you feel comfortable sitting here? Say, no, I need to sit somewhere else. I don't feel comfortable sitting here. They put you in a row all by yourself every time. Ah. <laughs> yes, or you have a 140-pound wife and just sit next to her. Here's the thing, dude. With your size, it's almost like, well, I guess we're going to be cuddling the whole freaking way because I'm not getting <laughs> Like, you are going to be spilling onto my seat and if i pass out i guess we're cuddling sir and we're going to get real co- close and cozy you know what i mean it's it's a it is what it is do you at 400 pounds you got to buy two two seats or can no. you get in this you can get in a seat yeah yeah i'm pretty comfortable in the seat um it's 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 really strange because i saw the same pant size that i had when i was 330 pounds so I, I I really I like to say that my, my upper chest my chest and my bench grew together so that's where I, I keep most of it but my uh, my waist and my hips they're not small by any means but I do fit pretty all right in the seat and um, I do have my own uh, American Airlines seat belt extender so they, they gave me that I it etched my name into it so it's like perfect. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's funny it's a thing those pants. You, they still fit, but they went from baggy jeans to skinny jeans. Right, yeah. <laughs> the style changed. Yeah, they're painted on, yeah. <laughs> You're like, I hope skinny jeans last a little while longer in terms of trends because I'm not buying new, new clothes. Um, well. Listen, I, I appreciate your time, man. You've been on here for two hours, and I feel like we could talk, you know, another two hours. This has been a pretty good conversation. Um, so I definitely want to have you on again, and especially, like, after this competition, you got other ones – around the corner, like you had said, other goals. So I yeah. definitely want to have you back, my friend. Um, it's been a blast. One question I always ask everybody when they come on the podcast, when all is said and done and you're retired and you're looking back at your career, how do you want to be remembered? Uh, hungry, happy, humble. Sorry, well, what was those three H's? Hungry, happy, humble. Hungry, happy, and humble. You know what? That is a that's a freaking t-shirt. Oh, look at there it is. Hungry, happy, and humble, my man. I got like a ton of stickers made up. I put them everywhere. Okay. Like, yeah, I've had it on the inside of my belt too. Uh, Matt's been 
been really like I, I've said it for the entire time I've been powerlifting, and um, you know, like kind of what I said earlier in the podcast, you know, the, the reason I got into sports because everybody's so nice, everybody's so like minded, and I I love that side of the sport, and um, I, I hope I hope people learn from everything uh, the mistakes that I've done and the, the good things that I've done from the sport. I just I, I I'm concerned about being remembered, but that's why I have the highest total in the world. But I am also concerned about the being a good person because it takes nothing to be a good person. Yeah. And, and do you think when all is said and done too, like you're right now living it. You're right now, you got the highest total in history. You, you know, you could put your hand up and say, I'm the strongest man in the world. Um, like you're in the midst of that. Do you think it'll be, so it's, it's hard to, do you think it'll be weird looking back when that's gone, you're older, you know, you're, you're, you're doing your thing in the rest of your life and you're enjoying your family and whatnot. Will it be weird when your kids are like, holy shit, dad, you were the strongest man in the world at one point? Like, is that going to be weird looking back and be like, uh, yeah, I was the strongest man in the world for a minute there. That's, that's kind of wild. Like, it's a whole different, you're looking back is going to be way different than 99.9% of powerlifters looking back. None of them are going to be saying this. Very, very few people are ever going to look back and be like, you know what, at one point, I think on, on any given day, I could have been the strongest man in the world that day. Is that going to be flipping weird to look back and tell yourself, does that dawn on you right now? I'm sorry if I'm beating this dead, like a dead horse, but it's when you're a normal dude and you're talking to someone like you, it's just something that I can't wrap my head around. And I wonder if you actually can wrap your head around it or if you think in the future, it'll actually dawn on you when all is said and done, it's easier to look back and appreciate, holy shit, that was weird. I can't believe what, what I was doing. I can't believe that's me. That was me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely, and even still, there's a lot of days where I wake up and it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm the best in the world. That's kind of, uh, yeah, it, it is, it is, it's definitely, and I like to keep myself grounded that way, just, and, you know, a little bit hungry that way too, you know, because I, I think there's a little bit more kilos. I got some left on the platform. That's what I'm trying to prove. But um, I, I, I like, I like the way I'm, I'm doing it now. It's it's satisfying. It is good to say, but it's you got. There's always another guy out there, and there's always somebody just as hungry. And um, if if I can help them out by doing or saying something on a podcast or on social media, then I'm more than happy to do that. Just just so everybody can progress forward, including the sport. And uh, that's that's a beautiful thing. Um, do you take people in terms of coaching? Um, I know you got a day job, no? No, not, not at all. I do, I do offer my Peaky program through uh, Strength, uh, Smart Strength Official. It's a website that Tom Gauss and Jacob Ross do. They, I, they, you know, I, I gave them my program. I trust those guys. They're great coaches. Then um, I've seen them, you know, turn guys around completely with the powerlifting world. But their eyes a lot more keen than mine, and um, they they're a little bit more intensive. I'm. I'm just the dumb mechanic yeah, at the end of the day. <laughs> but I, so you gave your program almost like give it back to the sport and be like, look, take what you can from this, disseminate it wherever and just help other people grow. But here it is. It's, it's a kind of dangerous at the same time. If you do it too soon, that young guy's going to get a hold of that program and all of a sudden you're like, ah, shit, I should have waited yeah, right, right. So, yeah, it's kind of like, look, it, it, here it is. 
uh, you know, it's going to take you a little while to catch up to me anyways, you would think on yeah. the surface. So here's a program, whatever. And that is kind of a bit of a legacy piece by putting it out there before you leave. And that's what I was trying to do with it too. But I also knew that, um, you know, the verbiage that I give to people is a lot different than the uh, guy that coaches intensely and, and does that as a daily, you know, income or daily thing. So, um, I knew it, in my hands it was, wasn't going to be utilized as well as it could be with somebody like Tom Gallus or Jacob Ross. And, um, you know, there's a lot of great powerlifting coaches out there, but there's also a lot of shitty ones too. And I really feel like I would be in that shitty department. Um, then there's been a handful of people that I have helped coach, but it's more of uh, they have to be a little bit more experienced and kind of feel out to it because everybody's different and everybody's body reacts different. Everybody recovers different. So if you can't feel that out and decipher it for yourself, then I, what I'm trying to do and what, what I have done is going to be two completely different things. So, um, you know, it's just that's the way I try to pay it forward, I guess you could say, and that was the best way I, I felt like I could do it. And don't get me wrong, you know, years coming up, I could, you know, be like, hey, I can actually probably start coaching now to where if I got some more hand, hands-on time with people. And, and that's the, something that I've also said, too, where I have coached people before and I've never felt like I could give them the time that they deserved or the, the, the patience that they needed to develop into something better just because with everything else that I got going on on top of competing myself. So, I mean, you know, who knows? In two, three years, they'll be like, hey, you know, I, I'll coach. That's fine. And where I feel like I could give the attention to that, that details. It is I, – I know you mean where if you're, if you're coaching somebody, yeah, you don't want to – you sh you definitely don't want someone to look up to you, entrust in you, and then you're like, fuck, I can't give them everything because I got I got a I got a day job, I got my own lifting, I got my my own stuff. I don't want to do that. However, in the future, you never know if like we're talking years down the road, time shores up a little bit, and it's a hell of a thing to mentor someone and to help someone achieve their goals. It's one thing when you do it for yourself. It's another thing when you help take somebody and realize their goals and get them to do things they've never done before and you help them along. It's a hell of a gift. It's a hell of a footprint you put in their life, you know, all around. And then what they take from that and start applying it in the rest of their life where they start believing, it's freaking crazy, man. Like uh, it's almost anything's possible. When you're willing to put your reps in, God knows what's possible, you know? So it's, um, and in terms of your program that you put out there, even if I wasn't going to use it myself, I think it'd be pretty flipping cool just to see what, you know, the strongest man in the world's doing. That's just intriguing. Some people like, just for shits and giggles, what does a guy like Dan Bell do? What does, you know what I mean? Like, that's interesting to take a look under the hood for a mechanic term right there for you, sir. You know, <laughs> let's, let's take, let's kick the tires. Let's take a look under the hood. What's this guy doing to get what you're, where he's got? Um, even if you don't think you're going to run that program yourself, like that's, I think it's pretty cool that you put it out there for people to really see. And a lot of people might get shocked. Maybe it's a lot more work than they thought. Maybe it's less and staying in the pocket and being like, look, it, here is half the problem. You're overtraining, you're overpushing, you're over consistency wins, not a big battle every single week where you're burning out, consistently show up at a certain percentile and you're good. So yeah, man, there's a lot of educational purposes from it all around and I like that. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a, a big difference from what I was doing 
when I was at 19 or 2,000 total compared to what I'm, I'm doing now. There's a, a, a big difference, and that's another thing that I've had to, like, push on to people that are raising their totals. Like, one of my training partners, Seth Albersworth, he's from Calgary. He used to be a geared lifter, training dude. Now he's a chiropractor down here. But um, he's, he's progressed, and he's progressed, I don't want to say extremely fast, but it, from his training that he, his mindset was so used to in his total back in the day when he was 275 through weight to where he's at now, it's like, relax, pump the brakes. You don't need to beat yourself into the wall every single day, man. Like, and that's been the biggest game changer for him progressing. And that's what I feel a lot of, a lot of lifters can take away from to where, you know, if, if you are, if you're hitting the higher numbers, like give yourself some time to, to fully recover and fully fully develop and, and progress faster, but at a slower, slower D, D session. And that's yeah. just the fine line we all play with. Yeah, don't get too greedy. That's the thing. Everybody <laughs> wants it. Everyone wants it like yesterday. Everyone wants it quick. You know, no one wants to hear, you know, you're good. In about 10 years, you're going to peak. It's like, what? <laughs> 10 years? I need this like yesterday, man. I don't want to hear that. So, yeah, yeah that's, that is the hardest part. Um, is there anybody that you want to thank before before we let you go? I really want to thank you, man. Uh, you know, and of course, you know my, my sponsors. They, they all know who they are. Those guys are the one of the big factors why I still get to do what I do and progress and uh, you know put up the numbers that I do. Those guys have been taking care of me. A lot of the sponsors that I'm with, I've stayed with or been with for a while now. Kind of like to stick to my ground with that, have a little integrity. But um, you guys, you know, and what you do. For the sport, you know, through the IPF and through the, through your page and everything like that, you know, getting everybody's uh, word out there. You know, and I love the podcast with Garrett. I, you did a great job with Rob and then Kalise and everything like that. You know, just getting everybody to be a little bit more transparency and getting everybody's different aspects of the sport and different views and how people do that. I, I love that you do that and I appreciate that more than you guys could ever know because if I would have had this five years ago. We'd probably be talking to a different different total right now. <laughs> well, thank you. First off, thank you very much, man. Coming from yourself, that's a that's a pretty high rewards, and and I appreciate the the, the kind words. Um, yeah, man, uh, that's exactly it, man. We're trying to get everybody's story out there. Everybody gets a little bit exposure and trying to push everybody forward in the sport. And we're all growing together, my friend. It's uh, it's we're all we, we can only do it together. So I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Um, giving us two hours of your day and good luck in training, man. We're go we're all going to be watching at the showdown meet, you know, we're going to be reposting and, and letting everybody know what happens. And then um, let's touch base again at the other side of this and uh, keep us in the loop with in terms of your future goals. And we'll take it from there. No problem. I really appreciate it again. And thanks, man. So you have a good day. Have a good day, buddy. <laughs>